1: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
0: The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox Original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to the Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best.
2: What follows may not be suitable for all
0: audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories, stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities.
1: Let me just say, I am so proud of you.
2: Um, I feel like you're going to say something sarcastic. No,
1: no, I'm not. You Come on. That's Does that sound like something I would do? Okay, it sounds exactly like something I would do, yeah. but no, no. It's just, you know, we've talked about how we're both animal lovers, and you really go above and beyond whenever you see anything that you think that needs any kind of rescuing, any kind mm-hmm. of wildlife, you jump to action. You hop to it.
2: I know where you're, I know exactly where you're going with this.
1: Tell us about what you saved today.
2: You know, I don't... It wasn't today. It was the other day.
1: Well, I thought it was on your way home.
2: No, it was when I was voting. Very important to vote, kids. Um, Yeah, Uh, you know, I. it's not important.
1: So you're driving along, toodly-doot, do doot toodly-doot. And you see something in the road, a wounded creature of some sort, and you come to a screeching halt, dust and gravel flying up from your tires. Uh-huh. You, this is a
2: beautiful tale that you're weaving. Really?
1: You slam your truck into a park. You hop out. You, you run over.
2: It, you, it's so dramatic. You're making it so dramatic. I, I went what? to the town office. I voted. I was pulling out of the parking lot. And there was a giant dead bird. And so, yes, I went to investigate. It was not tires squealing and gravel kicking up everywhere. What, did,
1: what creature did you come to the aid of?
2: Broken street sweeping broom. But, I mean, I wasn't the only one who noticed that it looked weird. Other people were looking at it.
1: You, you did take a picture of it.
2: It did look like a it, giant dead bird.
1: It Well, it looked like a pterodactyl.
2: I thought it looked like like our nation's bird in distress. I was just being patriotic.
1: Well, you just voted, so, you yeah, know, okay. <laughs> was that makes the, sense. Was you were in the spirit. <laughs> you were in a patriotic mood. <laughs> it's true, though. She gets very upset when she sees anything in the road, and I've used that to our advantage because if if there's a, like a, a dead squirrel in the road, I'll just tell her it's a hat full of lasagna.
2: Oh, it's true. I've stopped to save many a glove in
1: distress. <laughs> and a shoe one time, <laughs> I recall. The Box of Oddities, now a CastBox original. We're pretty excited about that.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, for a lot of reasons. But Matt, the guy that we've been talking with at CastBox, is hot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He sent us a picture wearing uh, one of our shirts, and uh, Matt works out.
2: You can see, like, the shape of his bits underneath. Yeah. All moving the, the shirt under, like, with the, it's all, like, bloop, bloop. Bloop, bloop, bloop. You but not s- in the same way that I'm bloop, bloop. <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway, we're excited to be part of the CastBox family. and Ooh, very excited. And one day I hope to have Matt's abs. I mean, not physically have his abs, like in right, a jar. like in a jar. No. Curator at com is an email address that uh, you can get a hold of us at. Now, I go first this episode, and let me just tell you how I got on this rabbit trail. Last month you and I went to the Mütter Museum in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know what the Mütter Museum is, what are you listening to this podcast for? That's a rite of passage.
2: Do not shame anyone. This is about learning and acceptance and love.
1: Okay. The Mütter Museum is a medical museum in Philadelphia, which has uh, the largest collection of human specimens and skeletons. And what's it say on their website? They're much better at describing it than I.
2: I was just looking for it. I know it's that it's technically called Mutter Museum of the College of Physicians of Philadelphia. So yeah, it's a medical oddities museum where you can see things that range from a two faced fetus to uh leg bits from yep. the Civil War with civil war gun gun ch- Min-
1: Mini ball. Mini ball, mini ball yep. still yep. in it. Yeah,
2: And there was a um
1: you having a gag reflex right now? A little
2: bit. Okay. There was a cyst that had, they had taken off of a woman's ovary that was 70 pounds.
1: That doesn't even make sense to me. How is that even possible?
2: 70 pounds. I had a cyst on my ovary once. Um, over the course of three years, I had a cyst on my ovary, and then I had pelvic inflammatory disease. And the cyst on my ovary was probably one of the more painful things that I've ever been through in my life. And it was just so small. And they were like, oh, don't worry. It'll just go away on its own. Here's some drugs in the meantime. So I can't even imagine what a 70-pound <laughs> cyst must have felt like. I mean, you-
1: Think about it. No. Think No, don't, don't think about it. <laughs> But if you think about how difficult it is to pick up a fifty-pound a fifty-pound bag of potatoes,
2: listen. Not everyone knows weight in potatoes. They're well, not all from the county in Maine. No,
1: it's, <laughs> we're tuber-fed here in the pine tree state. <laughs>
2: funny anytime i ask how far away something is you give me instead minutes that it will take to get there
1: well it's because it's a big state and you have to go a long way to get places and
2: how heavy is it you answer in how many bags of potatoes it might weigh
1: (laughs) hey it's just our way here (laughs) anywhozo while we were at the at the mütter museum there is a uh, an art museum section where they display victorian hair pieces
2: which really was the most upsetting thing that i saw the whole time we were there
1: back in victorian times one of the ways they remembered their loved ones that had departed was they would cut off a bunch of their hair and make it into wreaths or artwork you you would see like this landscape behind glass, and it would be all made out of dead people's hair.
2: But not just dead people, though. Um, they, they would do it with friends, too. Like, young girls would get some of their friends' hair and make things out of their friends' hair. Yeah. And it, that was just how they celebrated their their liking of each other.
1: It was pretty popular in, uh, in Victorian times. Mm-mm. There's nothing like clumps of dead people's hair on the wall to brighten up your den. There's nothing quite like that.
2: No, no. Some people like a nice oak credenza. Me?
1: I want Susie's bangs. (laughs) So anyway...
2: sounds so dirty.
1: (laughs) Anyway, I started wondering what other kinds of things do people use parts of corpses for besides burying them?
2: What a wonderful question. Yeah. I adore you. What?
1: What is, what is the modern-day equivalent of the dead person's hair art? Well, this is how this rabbit hole progressed, and it gets weirder as I go. I, I found a, a company called Life Gem in the Chicago area, and what they do is they take the ashes of your cremated loved ones, and they make them into uh, precious gems, diamonds or uh, collars. They can make different colors. And it's not just human remains. You can have it done with uh, a beloved pet that has crossed the rainbow Aww. bridge.
2: That's nice. See, I don't mind that. I think that's nice. Yeah,
1: that is kind of nice. Cremation Solutions is another company in Arlington, Vermont. They do the same thing. And I was looking at their price list. Mm-hmm. It's not as expensive as you might think because I thought, oh, geez, you know, going to make a diamond out of a dead guy. Uh, that's going to cost me a few bills, like, you know, thousands of dollars. Um, you can get a necklace, a tasteful, like, teardrop necklace done for 700 bucks. Really? Yeah. So from there, it led me to a company called humanleather.com. What? Yep. Yeah, there's a UK company called humanleather.com. As the website puts it, it's just like animal leather produced from lesser animals. Our raw human skin is transformed into the finest grade leather by using traditional tanning processes. However... Human leather is the finest grain leather that is obtainable. It is free from defects. It has the smallest grain size which makes it the smoothest, softest leather on earth. So you can have like gloves made or they do all kinds of things. You want a clutch purse made out of uh, some some dead guy, you can have it.
2: Where do they where do they get their product? Where do they
1: Where do they get the skins? Yeah yeah uh, they're donated. And apparently they have a waiting list of people who want to donate their skin to this uh, company when they die, and they're very discriminating. From according to their website, we've had to turn away some potential donors as we can only accept the highest quality human skin.
2: Oh, wouldn't that be insulting? If you were like, I would like to donate my skin so that someone can have something nice someday. Yeah, and then they're like, you know what, your skin's not good enough. Get out.
1: Thanks for your skin, but if you send it to us, we're just we're just gonna throw it away.
2: Oh, someone didn't moisturize. Get out now. What about tattoos? I mean, do they have an issue? Like, I mean, can you buy yeah. like specialty products that have tattooed skin made from?
1: You know, that's an interesting sideline. I don't, I did not research that. And if they don't, they should.
2: Yeah. My back would make a lovely hat.
1: Your back would make a lovely hat?
2: It's not something I've ever said before.
1: No, I don't think so. Let's say you have a loved one who is uh, morbidly curious. What do you get her for uh, Valentine's Day? Nice bottle of perfume, maybe? Well, here's one called Ode to Death. It's uh, an interesting concept that comes to us from uh, chemist Rochelle Burks of Doane College in Nebraska, This, is according to Ranker. Burks said, quote, If we're really trying to mimic a corpse, we have got to get the smell down to perfection. She's developed a perfume that smells like decomposing bodies, and it comes in a really stylish decanter. She goes on to explain putrescine and cadaverine are the main ingredients which are emitted early in. In the decaying process, both organic chemical compounds are produced by breaking down amino acids and living in living and dead organisms and are toxic in large doses, but just the right amount makes a really intriguing, um, makes a really intriguing, uh, signature aroma.
2: That's horrible. Yeah. I can't get on board that. I don't know. Maybe.
1: <sighs> Look at the ad for it.
2: Oh, no, I, I can't imagine that that's nice. I mean, we've we've talked about this. Like you, you know. Like I've smelled decomposing human body. That's not a good smell. No. And I think most people who have smelled decomposing human body would not have nice associations with that. No.
1: You know how like if you smell a pine candle and it reminds you of Christmas.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah. That
2: was the worst Christmas ever. How long was he stuck in the chimney for?
1: Corpse of Chris Kringle.
2: With a hint of pie.
1: There are cosmetics made from the corpses of executed Chinese prisoners. They've hit the European market. Mm. And so, in other words, next time you go to get your collagen treatment or facial filler or lip plumping injection, probably getting the fat dead guy right in your face.
2: Oh, that's upsetting. I, I think that's, I mean, that can lead to a very serious conversation about, like, human rights violations and...
1: Oh, I, yeah.
2: I just, that makes me really uncomfortable, and I want to, like, start researching stuff.
1: I got some links for you. Okay, good. A London-based company, Bompas & Parr.
2: That sounds like a craft brew.
1: <laughs> it does, doesn't it?
2: Oh, you remember that hobo ball and biscuit we had?
1: That's a craft beer, too. Was so good. Not body parts from a homeless person.
2: Yeah, sorry. I got distracted. Go ahead.
1: And this company on their website says they are globally recognized as the leading expert in multi-sensory experience design. Now, they have a product called Occult Jam.
2: Like Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam?
1: These guys are apparently pioneers in the imaginative imaginative use of corpse hair. Occult Jam supposedly contains a few strands of the late Princess Diana's hair in it. Jam. Jam. Like
2: for sandwiches and English muffins and such? I work really hard to make sure there's no hair in my food. Not
1: even royal hair?
2: Though I read the other day an upsetting statistic about peanut butter.
1: About an acceptable amount of rodent droppings? Yeah. Bon appétit, mon frère. Now I know that uh, gelatin really turns your stomach anyway because it's, uh, you know, it's made with uh, ground up cow bones and things like that. It turns my stomach to cartilage.
2: I was actually going to buy some gummy bears the other day, and the first ingredient was beef bone gelatin. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that was really specific.
1: (laughs) Yep, yep. Well, apparently when, you know, mad cow started breaking out uh, in, in various areas, there was a concern that perhaps it could be transmitted through gelatin. Because of that. But there are researchers at Beijing University's College of Life Science and Technology who have a bit of a controversial idea. They're taking human genes and inserting them into a strain of yeast producing gelatin with controllable features. In other words, the gelatin will be made out of human cells as opposed to cow bones.
2: Can they take it from living donors or does it come from dead people?
1: Not specified.
2: Now wouldn't that be kind of like I mean, because mad cow came from on a very basic level cows eating cows, right? Wouldn't people eating people jello be a bad news bears kind of situation?
1: It's kind of like Soylent Green. They're people. It's people.
2: Oh, all I can think of is Phil Hartman. Anytime I think of Soylent Green.
1: So yeah, I don't know when that's gonna hit the market, but may- maybe they could uh, they could call it Jello. Oh my God. See what I did there?
2: Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I saved the weirdest one for last because that's how I do. Right. There's a macabre startup company called Byte Labs. And they uh, they have a website. You can look it up, Byte Labs.
2: Looking it up right now.
1: B-I-T-E-L-A-B-S. And what they are doing is offering a chance to eat your favorite celebrity. The company insists this is not a hoax. Their idea is they're getting tissue samples from live celebrities, muscle stem cells, and they grow celebrity meat in their proprietary uh, bioreactors. Mm-hmm. And then they cure the meats in the tradition of Italian cured meats. They dry age and spice the product to find and delicious taste. One of the products that they, they currently offer is James Franco salami. <laughs> they say, it must be smoky, sexy, and smooth. Sharp telecherry peppercorns and caramelized onion provide Franco's underlying flavors. Uh, they, they do insist that this is not a joke, that this is real. But they, then they, they say uh, Franco salami taste will be arrogant, distinctive, and completely undeniable.
2: Okay, so I'm looking at this now, and it looks like, like all of these are mixed with, with meat-meats. So
1: they must have some sort of a proprietary blend or something. But like the uh,
2: the James Franco has is mixed with venison. The Jennifer Lawrence is mixed with rabbit and pork. The Kanye West
1: is mixed with arrogance
2: and pork. And then there's the Ellen DeGeneres salami. It's got a playful kick of mustard, uh, but it's blended with ostrich. So I mean, it's not vegetarian.
1: No, it's not. It's not vegetarian
2: because. Whatever, yo. I mean, if you're not killing a cow for it, I'll eat it.
1: You would eat James Franco salam. Let me ask you this. If you could eat any celebrity, given a choice, what celebrity would you eat? Go ahead, take your time.
2: Maybe Selma Hayek?
1: Selma Hayek? Yeah. I bet she'd be delicious.
2: Spicy, but a little sweet?
1: Yeah. I'd go with Kirsten Bell.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. That's just pure sweetness right there. Indeed. Oh, I love her. I don't, I genuinely don't know if what we just said was insulting or...
1: We don't mean it as an insult, we mean it as a compliment.
2: That's the other word that I was looking for.
1: So I started out with uh, hair portraits and uh, ended up delving all the way down into celebrity meat products. So that's the rabbit trail I was on for this
0: episode. You're welcome.
2: (laughs) What a wonderful day.
0: This is the Box of Oddities. I said box.
2: All right, that thing in the middle.
0: These
1: are some of the worst job titles. They are real, we're not making this up.
2: Number five, director of sandbags.
1: (laughs) Can you imagine the guy that's the assistant director of sandbags, trying to work his way up? Number four, advanced scum master, manager or analyst in agile development projects. That's what they call them.
2: Number three, ranch dressing expert.
1: I want that job. (laughs) Number two, part-time package handler. I think that's an Amazon job. I love
2: it. And the number one worst job title that we found in our last 45 seconds of searching for bad job titles, Bride Kidnapping Expert.
0: (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Okay. Let's just move along. Let's
2: just, let's just.
0: The Box of Oddities. With Cat and Jethro Gilligan Toth. All right, what do you have for me this episode?
2: Well, I got to thinking that a couple boxes ago, I talked about uh, awful things, and then I promised puppies, and then I ended up talking about parasites.
1: Yeah, which is not a puppy. It's not the same.
2: So I figured I'd do something kind of fun and light this time, and not upsetting.
1: Okay. Okay. Great. Because I'm still recovering from I'm the parasite episode. <sighs>
2: did you see the picture of that emerald cockroach wasp that I posted on our Instagram, though?
1: I did. He's metallic and beautiful.
2: Isn't he gorgeous?
1: I just don't want him laying eggs in me. That's all. That's all I ask. It's fair. Okay. What do you have for us now?
2: I'm going to talk about the origins of superstitions.
1: Excellent.
2: And there are many, and gosh, I may have selected too many. We may have to kind of pare down, and I apologize. Right. But um, there's just so much to pull from. i It's funny. You don't realize how many superstitions that you know of, that I know of, that we all know of, mm-hmm. until you start researching them, and then you're like, holy shit, there's a bunch. <laughs> so I had to kind of just pick and choose.
1: I'm very excited about this.
2: Umbrellas you never open them inside. Right. There are some historians that still claim that this comes from in the early days in Rome because people were worried that if you opened an umbrella inside, you would be offending the sun gods. Now, they
1: They had umbrellas in Rome?
2: That's the thing, is that as we've gone back and looked at things, their sunshades weren't really exactly the same mm. as we would expect them to be if you're using the word umbrella. Right. So, in Extraordinary Origins of Everyday Things, uh, which was written in 1989, um, the scientist and author Charles Panetti wrote, In 18th century London when metal spoked waterproof umbrellas began to become a common rainy day sight. They were kind of stiff and clumbering and clumsy, and they had a very...
1: Wait, did you say clumbering?
2: Yep, I did. Let's just move right along. Clumsy, (laughs) lumbering. Cumbersome. Like a a labored kind of... Okay. It was like a... It's a labored... It's a clumsy labored event. Ah,
1: I love it. Is
2: clumbering not a word? I don't know. All right. <clears throat> it was dangerous to open them indoors, is basically what I'm getting at. They were rigidly spoked. And if you open one in a small room, I mean, you could hurt someone. Hardcore. They flew open. Those those jagged, spiky edges. Yeah. Yep. Taking out eyes. Ripping ears off.
1: Perforating a pancreas or two. Who needs that on a rainy day?
2: So, I mean, if you rip off your sister's kid's arm with an umbrella, you're going to get into an argument. That's bad luck.
1: hmm Okay. Fair enough.
2: So the superstition arose as a deterrent to opening umbrellas indoors. Nice. Walking under a
1: ladder. I never really understood
2: this one. Um, it's, a l- it's interesting, though, because this superstition does originate from about 5,000 years ago um, in ancient Egypt. A ladder leaning against a wall forms a triangle. Egyptians regarded this shape as sacred. Um,
1: Interesting.
2: As exhibited by their pyramids. Um, to them, triangles represented the trinity of the gods, and to pass through that was to desecrate them. This belief ended up making its way up through uh, Jesus' times. And uh, they, the Christians started interpreting that as the, the Holy Trinity. And same okay, deal. Sure, you know, you're sure. breaking the Trinity. Not cool. Interesting, though, in England in the 1600s, as people bre- were being walked to the gallows, they purposefully leaned ladders up against the wall and forced them to walk through it.
1: Shut like up. Like
2: they didn't have bad luck coming anyway.
1: Yeah, like, like that even mattered at that point. Come on. You know, hey, you're going to hack my head off with a rusty saw.
2: No, I don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable.
1: God, I hope they don't put a black cat in my path.
2: It's interesting that you bring black cats up. Um, You know, obviously, in talking about superstitions, black cats comes up. And that's in certain times, certain groups regarded black cats as sacred. Others, like during the Salem witch trials, they associated them with, you know, witch familiars. And their cats overall it just it, it's a shit show so i'm not getting into it
1: <laughs> cats overall is a shit show i'm not getting into it there's our new title
2: speaking of which i belong to one of those like rv groups on the fb mm-hmm. and i asked the question like why shouldn't i bring a cat in an rv Because I was eyeing this kitten at a shelter and I was like, no, you don't need a cat because if you're going to be living in an RV, you don't want to bring a cat with you. And people like jumped on me and started calling me the worst names you could possibly imagine. Like, like I had just said I was going to come to their home and stab their cat and force them to eat it. When really I was just saying, help me, help me not get a cat guys. But no, they were just not nice about it at all. Kindness, people. It's not that hard.
1: RV enthusiasts can be volatile.
2: They're really snarky sometimes. (laughs) You'd think if they're camping all the time, they should be chill, but they're not.
1: No. No.
2: (laughs) I just got real pitchy because I have allergies. Sorry. Okay, so... Are
1: are you allergic to cats?
2: In most English-speaking countries, it's polite to respond to another person's sneeze by saying, God bless you. Though, um, this has been going on for years... Um, And there have been various versions of that that have gone on for as far back as we can count. However, um, the particular custom, the God bless you custom, began in the 6th century AD by explicit order of Pope Gregory the Great. There was a terrible sickness spreading through Italy at the time. The first symptom was severe chronic sneezing, and this was often followed by death. And Pope Gregory urged the healthy to pray for the sick and ordered that lighthearted responses, which were common at the time, like um, may you enjoy good health, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. on and so forth, be replaced by a more urgent, God bless you.
1: Interesting.
2: He also recommended that if you're alone and you sneezed, That you would say, God bless me. Wow. In an effort to save yourself.
1: No, I'm not sure if it was Pope Gregory, but there was a Pope from about that time period who... um,
2: A Pope? We should watch the Da Vinci Code. I'm sorry, what were you saying?
1: He was, uh, he, he believed that cats were the embodiment of evil. And so he banned cats. He encouraged people to round cats up and exterminate them. Yeah. What was the result of that? Well, the plague. Yep, the plague, because there were no cats to take care of the mice, the fleas, the bubonic plague. So be nice to your cat. That's all we're saying.
2: Told you it was a shit show. <laughs> and then rats get a bad rep because everyone's like, oh, rats cause a bubonic plague. And it's like, no, no, no. They were unintentional and gentle carriers.
1: It was the fleas, if you please. All of a sudden, this became a Dr. Seuss story.
2: All of a sudden. Also, we should get a rat. Anyway, fear of the number 13. It's known as... uh,
1: Triskaidekaphobia.
2: Exactly correct. Um, Its origins are in Norse Norse mythology. In a well-known tale, 12 gods were invited to dine at Valhalla, a magnificent banquet hall in Asgard. We've been watching a lot of the Avengers, so we understand all of what this is talking about right now. (laughs) Loki... Who's the god of strife and evil? Or some might say
1: misunderstood.
2: You know, just a little mischievous. So Loki shows up. He crashed the party. He raised the number of attendees to thirteen. They tried to kick Loki out, and that struggle that ensued. Um, Balder, who was the, fav- the favorite among them, was killed. Where are all the Marvel Balder movies?
1: That's that's a good point. Now this was right before. Um, Thor was banished to Earth, right? Not sure. Which was, I guess, chronologically that would have come after the Incredible Hulk movie. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, all right. We're watching all the Marvel films in chronological order.
2: Anyway, what was I saying? I don't know. Oh, yes. So, um, Scandinavian avoidance of 13 member dinner parties and the dislike of the number 13 itself spread south to the rest of Europe. And it was reinforced in the Christian era by the story of the Last Supper, because without Judas, it would have been a party of 12.
1: Right. Judas ruins everything.
2: It's the fifth album.
1: From Lion to the Dying? They have quite a musical catalog.
2: I think th- I think that's where I should end. I have a couple more, but I feel like I feel like I've used my time um, here.
1: <laughs> You've used it wisely. Really, because I yeah. feel
2: like I rambled on about a lot of unrelated things. A lot, but it's you know I this is the first episode where I've been drinking during yeah, the right, the, right. the recording. This is the
1: first. I drink constantly, so <laughs> I'm loaded all the time. That's not true. That's not true. This is actually the first episode, because we're doing this this episode Friday night, and um, we're just here at our house. The dogs are sleeping in the other room, and uh, we decided that we were going to have a couple of beers while we were doing this particular episode. So if it rambles a little bit, that's why.
2: We're so excited to be with CastBox now and um, have Super Spicy Matt helping us um, do amazing things. And also 100,000 downloads, which is so cool. And I just love you guys so much. We
1: do. We do. We really appreciate it. (laughs) I'm Um, so happy. (laughs) This is like a dream come true for us in many ways. Thank you so much. That sounded really insincere. and... Please cut that out.
2: No, it didn't. I, I liked it. And it's just, we really are enjoying hearing back from you and conversing with you. Um, beautiful Beer Maven and Sweet Sprat.
1: These are Instagram handles. They're not just little pet names that you've come up with. <laughs> Sweet Sprat sounds like it could be one of those products from that human meat website. I'll have the Sweet Sprat, please.
2: Well, you know, they, there are a lot of delis that name their sandwiches after celebrities. <laughs> this would be totally yep. like on par with that, just yep. a bit more personal. Yeah,
1: when you order the Dustin Hoffman, it actually has Dustin Hoffman in it.
0: <laughs> mm.
2: So anyway, you can uh, you can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. You can email us curator at theboxofoddities Find us online, the box of oddities.
1: And don't forget our merch. You can find that on our website as well, too.
2: Right, and the links on Instagram.
0: Here's to the freaks.
2: Keep flying that freak flag
0: and fly it proudly. And so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.
2: You would eat James Franco's salami. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I love you and I'm committed to you and you only.
1: I love that about you.